0: It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcon's Flyover. With John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
2: Back in the key studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is John Chuckery Show. Live on this Tuesday evening with you. 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. If you want to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us when you are on the go. Social media is at 92.9 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, of course, you can follow me. At JMCH 316. Talk some college football in about 20 minutes from right now with Chris Vanini, senior writer for The Athletic covering all things college football. This, though, is your night look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So Drake London came in as the second highest graded rookie over the weekend um, in pro football Focus's rankings. Quote, London already looks like a grown man on an NFL field. He finished with eight catches on 11 targets. For 86 yards in his first career score. He also hauled in his only contested catch opportunity and broke two tackles after the catch. Maybe most telling is that he's already uh, usurped Kyle Pitts as the go to guy in the offense with 18 targets through two weeks. So good stuff there. As far as other grades from uh, Pro Football Focus, so the uh, highest graded offensive player, Kadaral Hodge, 91.3. London was an 82. Parker Hesse was a 69.7. Zacchaeus was a 69.3. And Patterson was a 64.4. Top-rated defensive players. Um, This is interesting. Abdullah Anderson, who I thought made some nice plays in that game, 90.2. Michael Walker, who we talked about, who I think has had a really good start to this season, 82.3. By the way, he's the highest-graded Falcons defensive player, at least among starters, let's put it like that. At 77 and a half, so he's had a really nice start to the season. Taquan Graham with a 75-4, D. Alford, I like what he's done so far, 75-2, and Dean Marlowe who got a little bit of run, 73. Other grades um, from the weekend for against the Rams: Drew Dahlman, ready, day day. So yeah. if you get below 50, you are a below-average player. Okay, you with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Drew Dolman, thirty six point five. Oh wow! Yeah, he's wow. he's had some struggles. And again, remember what I said—the Spider-Man meme. Yep. That's him and Hennessy. Yeah. They're two undersized guys.
3: How how bad was his? What was the drop? What, did he have? A, what was his drop from week one?
2: Uh? Was you it know, a that's, drastic drop. Let me see if I can find the week one. Uh That's preseason. Let's see here. He was. Oh, he doesn't have them listed here because I don't have. I just okay. have some of the guys listed here, but okay. he wasn't in the top five, and he wasn't listed in the notables because usually, if you're bad, you'll be listed in the notables here. I get this from Evan Birchfield on um, gotcha. on Twitter. Um, he gives out, he puts out the grades because. Again, I'm not I'm I'm too cheap to subscribe to Pro Football Focus. So I'm not subscribing.
3: I think you and I are both
2: Yeah, yeah. Pitts was a. I mean listen, that's why I don't subscribe to FUBU and Chick Flicks and you know all those T V streaming things and all that. The I, I have one well, I have I have one like entertainment subscription server. Well, I have a gym membership, but I also have uh Peacock.
3: Right and the reason right.
2: and and there's one reason why I have Pacquiao
3: WWE right. yep and I yep. paid 4.99 <laughs> a month for it yeah
2: okay um, Pitts was a 50.8 Mariota was a 60.5 McGarry that Hail Mary pass I watched that play 50 times I'm not even going to blame Marcus Mariota on the Hail Mary go back and really slow down and watch that play McGarry whiffed. On his block, Mm -hmm. and it was Leonard Floyd, and I forget who the other guy was, that ran. It was 54, number 54, number 58. One of those guys is Leonard Floyd. I forget who the other guy was. The one guy ran right around McGarry and forced Mariota, but then Avery Williams was in the backfield to block. They kept him in, and he had no idea where anybody was. He didn't block anybody, and it forced Mariota to have to navigate his way around because Avery Williams didn't block anybody. McGarry didn't block anybody. Jake Matthews lost his guy. The only guy that they blocked was the interior guy because they only had a three-man rush. They blocked the interior guy with two guys, but Matthews, McGarry, and Avery Williams all whiffed on their guys. Avery Williams had his back turned to everybody on the play. He didn't see anybody no, on that yeah, play.
3: That that was, and it was very obvious. Too. It
2: was. I watched the re- I watched that play more than the Zabruder film. I mean, honestly, it just made me just shake my head when I saw all of that. So, again, right now the Falcons, by the way, depending on what site you use, one to three points is where they're at. So when you figure that a home team is typically worth three points at home. This is pretty much a pick 'em game on a neutral field, if you like those sorts of things. That tells you kind of what Vegas thinks about both Seattle and the Falcons, that this is basically a pick 'em kind of game. So take that for what you will. I don't know what it's worth. Can't cash that, right? All right, let's get to some audio. Let's uh, start post game with Drake London. Here's him talking about his first touchdown catch.
3: Uh, good. But just like you're saying, we need a dub, right? Um, so loss ain't going to cut it.
2: Yeah, look, uh, it was a nice play, and you know what? It's the perfect play for Mariota. One read, throw it to him. Drop back, one read, throw it, go. don't have to read the defenses, sort things out, this, that, and the other. One read, go. Here's Drake London talking about what it's going to take to get a win in Seattle.
3: Just keep that energy up and um, keep being us, you know? Um, don't change for nobody, don't change for the scenery, um, and just be the Atlanta Falcons that we know we are.
2: Again, winnable game. You don't have to travel. You don't have to go anywhere. You're already out there. You'll be adjusted to the time, the climate, and everything. There's a lot of things to like about this this Sunday, about finding a victory. And look, Seattle, again, they've not been very good offensively, 12 points per game. Again, I know Geno Smith beat us on Monday night. That I was on air that Monday night. Geno Smith and the Jets beat the Falcons on Monday night. That was also the same night the Braves lost their playoff series to the Dodgers. That was the game where Freddie Gonzalez didn't bring in Kimbrell in the eighth inning, and they lost it in the eighth inning. And Kimbrell never came in to pitch at that point. So, again, it's a very winnable game on Sunday. Let's find a way to get it done. Here's uh, Mariota talking about how the team was fighting back and never gave up.
4: Yeah, um, and that's what it's about with our, with our team. we got a bunch of great guys that have a lot of fight, and um, no matter what the score is, they're going to find a way to keep it close and hopefully come, come out with some victors.
2: That's the biggest thing that I take away is they didn't give up. They kept fighting. That's coaching because I gave you the stats before. This team under Dan Quinn was as bad a team as there was at scoring, and they were one of the worst teams about giving up points in the third quarter. This was historically not a very good team in the third quarter of games under Dan Quinn. They didn't score a whole lot, and they gave up too many points. I like the fact that they fought, scratched, and clawed their way back. I didn't expect them to win, but it would have been very easy in today's NFL to have just said, okay, we're going to get our brains beat in today, and it is what it is, and let's move on because that happens in the league.
3: But that and that's what for me. That's what made this week's lo- the, this week's loss was tough because week one was was winnable.
2: Well, yes, I mean, but to be honest with you, Day Day, they had a much better chance to win in week one than they did last. Yeah, year, this this past. Well, season. yeah,
3: yeah, but that and, and yeah, you're right. But it just made it that much. It hurt that much because, more. Because
2: here's the thing. You can't play that bad in the first half of an NFL game and tell me mm, you're going to win it. No, they weren't. Listen. Let's not sugarcoat what they were. They were awful in the first half of that game. That was as bad a first half of football as I've seen in several years for the Falcons. Mm-hmm. They were awful in the first half of that game. Yep. They didn't run it very well. They didn't throw it well. Their defense just got run up and down the field. Yeah. The Rams did what they wanted. Yeah. They missed a field goal. They yeah. couldn't score in the red zone. Yeah. That's as bad a first half of football as you could play. And the fact that they fought their way back, I'll give them a lot of credit. So to be honest with you, they had no business ever being, being in the game, winning that game. Yeah, yeah. You know they, but they made some plays. The blocked punt and all. They made some plays to force the Rams to have to try to go out and win that and hang on to win that game. But that first half was awful. That that was a dreadful first half when they were down 21-3. Yeah. They looked like they looked like a team that had never played foot. They looked like a team that didn't want to be there yeah. in the first half of that game. Yeah. So, that's why I'm not as mad about this week as I was the we Saints won. game. Yeah. All right, let's get to uh, Arthur Smith on what they'll have to do in Seattle to get a oh, – no, sorry, wait. Uh, Arthur Smith talking about the offense looked better through the first two games than the first two of last year.
5: Yeah, I've seen a lot of progress. Um, so, you know, there's things that we need to do uh, better in the red zone and uh, third down. It hasn't all been tragic, but obviously we haven't uh, won the last two games. So – we feel a lot better right where we're at offensively after two games than we did a year ago. If that's a uh, comparison, well, that's a good comparison, but that's just the truth. Um, like I said, I think our low line's playing really well. They did a nice job yesterday with the plan on on Donald. Um, so they've been protecting well. Pockets have been clean for the most part. And we've run the ball. Excuse me. We've run the ball well, to, relatively well, through through the first two
2: games. What we talk about all offseason, if the offense is going to progress, it's all going to be about the offensive line. Their offensive line is going to have to play much, much better. And through the first two weeks, their offensive line has played pretty well. I think their offensive line has showed me that that's why I'm not afraid that if they decide to go to Desmond Ritter in week four, given the fact that they've had a better offensive line performance this year, isn't it amazing what happens when, You're not playing Jalen Mayfield? Okay. Anyway, um, remember when some of y'all told me that he'd be better in his second year? Okay. Anyway, um, they can run the football more effectively. They block better up front. If you can do those two things, you got a shot. So, we'll see. That's why I say if they're 0-3 and they come back here, you need to give your fan base a boost in the arm. And and at that point, look, 0-3 is 0-3 in the league. Okay? I know it's a long way to go, but... If you ain't getting better and you can't win a game with your other quarterback, then what are you trying to? You're not trying to find out anything long term with him. All right, here's Arthur talking about how Mariota looks different since he last coached him.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of little things. That obviously, there's uh, in every game there's things that you know we need to clean up and uh, improve. But um, I think overall, I mean, he's in a different spot, and will continue to to improve and get better, especially in the situational football.
2: Well, here's the thing. Mariota is not the reason that you've lost these two games, but he hasn't done enough to help you win these two games. He hasn't made plays to help you win these two games. He hasn't lost them and he hasn't cost you and and they got bailed out on another interception in that game where that was the I got news for you. Even if they had not pass interfered with that guy, that ball was going to get intercepted. You overshot and and it was going to get it was going to get intercepted. So look He's not the reason that you've lost, but he hasn't done enough as to why you also haven't won either. All right, here's uh, Arthur Smith talking about they have to be ready against aggressive teams in hostile atmospheres. They
5: they, they threw uh, some different looks at, at San Fran.
2: And uh, you know,
5: San Fran's got good players. I mean Debo uh made a couple guys miss on a tackle and was able to uh get through there for an explosive run and um uh, San Fran. I mean, it was a pretty good game in line of scrimmage. So, it, like I said, we know it's a challenge. Uh, this is one we know we're going into one of the most uh, – yeah, it's probably one of the best environments. You can have home field advantage. Um, we
2: know it's going to be loud, and we got to account for that. And I agree, except that the team is not good, though. And that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's a great environment, but it's also not Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson and those guys. That's the other that that's the biggest aspect. The environment is great, and I agree, it's a tough environment. But it ain't the Legion of Boom and Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson anymore. All right, when we come back, we will talk to Chris Vanini. We'll talk some college football with him. He's the senior writer for the athletic, covering all things college football. Chucker in the Kia Studios, sports right now to the game, the
3: Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio 929 The Game back out on the John Chuckery
2: show live in the Kia Studios Tuesday night with you, 404 741 That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us when you are on the go. Social media is at 929 the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, you can always hit me up at JMCH316. Been a pretty wild first few weeks in the world of college football. Certainly plenty of upsets galore and Plenty of storylines here locally as well. Let's head out to the com hotline. Let's talk to Chris Vanini. He is the senior college football writer for The Athletic. You can check out all of his work at TheAthletic.com. And, of course, he is on Twitter. He is at Chris Vanini. Chris, uh, appreciate a few minutes, man, here in Atlanta this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me. Chris, how much do you think that Georgia – has actually started to separate itself from Alabama this year, given what the way that these two teams have looked at the start of the season. I mean, Georgia
4: looks even better than before, which didn't seem possible. And that's because <laughs> of the versatility of, of the offense. And that starts with Stetson Bennett, the quarterback who has absolutely lit it up through three weeks. And in, in our Staff Heisman straw poll that we put out today, he was second in our Heisman ballot behind C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. He His ability to make plays with his arm, make plays with his feet, has really stood out. They dominated an Oregon team in week one, an Oregon team that just went and handled BYU uh, last weekend. So right now, Georgia looks far ahead of everybody. Alabama, obviously, you know, narrowly beat Texas a couple weeks ago. They've got concerns that at wide receiver, at defensive back. And so, uh, right now, Georgia's a clear number one.
2: Chris, when we look at Ohio State, um, you know, obviously they got on track offensively this this Saturday, but, you know, it is against Toledo. You think that their offense is where they want it to be right now? I mean, obviously, you know, Jack Smith and Jigba's been dealing with some injury, didn't play a couple of weeks before that, and this, any other but, you know, obviously, you know, we'll see what's going on with Henderson. But you think offensively they're where they think they want to be. I mean, as the competition level will, you know, finally start to increase here soon. I do. I think it just comes down to the injuries, like you were talking about. Jackson's been the Jigma's coming back from
4: something. Uh, Travion Henderson. They've had some issues at some of the skill positions. But you go back to that Notre Dame game, and obviously, Notre Dame is not what we thought at the time. But Ohio State was able to run the ball in that game and put the game away with, with, with the ball on the ground. And that was an issue with the team last year. It felt like it, they, they too much relied on that passing attack. They weren't tough enough. They got pushed around by Michigan. And so far, this looks like an Ohio State team that has found some of that toughness again. Now, they haven't really been tested. Wisconsin, you know, this week is kind of... That, that's a game that tests your toughness. And I think that's something we're going to want to see. Can they run the ball against Wisconsin in what is usually a pretty strong defense? And, I mean, Ohio State's heavily favored to win, but things like that are going to be something I'm watching for.
2: Senior college football writer for The Athletic, Chris Vanini, joining us on the com hotline. All right, let's talk about another team here for a minute locally. How much is Jeff Collins' dead man walking at this point? Is there – I mean, I don't – if you look at the second half of their schedule – at Florida State, Carolina, Georgia. There ain't a whole lot of Ws to be looked at on their schedule. How much do you think he's dead man walking after that performance on Saturday?
4: Yeah, it's it's obviously in a very, very rough place, and it, it feels like the writing is on the wall there. He's, I think, 10-27 overall. He hasn't won more than three games in a year. And the recruiting, which was supposed to be kind of the saving grace of all of it, and a big reason he was hired, hasn't been any better than it was before him. So you mentioned the second half of that schedule. It only gets tougher from here. A 42-0 loss to to Ole Miss was obviously very uh, disheartening here for a Georgia Tech fan. It's hard to see a turnaround at this point just based on what they have and based on what is still to come. And considering two Power Five jobs have already opened now,
2: Sometimes these things create uh, an urgency elsewhere. You know, Chris, one of the other things that I think is going to be interesting this year, you know, it was pretty much a fait accompli that, forget, put the playoffs aside, that Cincinnati was going to be a really good team and, and probably the best, you know, group of five team that was out there. This year, though, you know, again, we just saw Houston lose again. Cincinnati's already lost. You know, BYU lost over the weekend. Who's going to sort themselves out among the non-Power 5 teams to try to get that, you know, bowl game bid this year? It seems like it's a pretty jumbled mess between a lot of those teams.
4: Yeah, it's a down year for the group of five, without a doubt. I mean, it's now two weeks in a row that there hasn't been a group of five team ranked. And the reason is because almost all of them have losses. There's only three undefeated group of five teams left. That's Tulane, Coastal Carolina, and James Madison, who's only 2-0. and So Cincinnati has a loss. Houston has a loss. Boise State, San Diego State, Utah State, Appalachian State, Marshall, uh, UCF. They've all got a loss. And so that really opens it up to – anybody in any conference at this point we we don't have an undefeated cincinnati like we had the last couple of years we don't have an undefeated ucf like we had a couple years before that it's wide open and that is going to make for a lot more exciting games later into the year with the group of five because there's going to be so many more teams involved but it makes for 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 less ability at the top app appalachian state is the highest ranked the closest to being ranked group of five team at the moment because they beat texas a and but you know cincinnati that opening seven-point loss at Arkansas doesn't look so bad now. You know, it's, it's a top-ten team who who has had, looked pretty good this year, and obviously
2: Missouri State gave them a scare, but it could be a team that perhaps beats Texas A&M this weekend. We'll see. Senior college football writer for The Athletic, Chris Vanini, joining us on the com hotline. Do you think Michigan is the fourth-best team in the country right now, or is this a matter of – We just maybe don't have enough on the resume for Clemson, South uh, Southern Cal, Oklahoma just yet.
4: Uh, It's a mix of both. I mean, Michigan—they were four or five to begin the year. They've blown out three of the worst teams in the country. They're just—they're going to stay there. You know, we just—we haven't seen anything to really truly evaluate them. I don't know if Maryland is really going to give them a push or not, but it's the first time we can actually compare them. Something. Um, I think that's it more than anything. They're coming off a Big Ten Championship, a playoff berth. JJ McCarthy has won the quarterback job. They've got good running backs. We, we, like we we know there's a lot of talent there. We know it's a good program. Somebody's got to be number four, and right, right now there's just a lot of questions everywhere, especially early in the season. And it's it's kind of the same thing with Clemson, really. So it, it's you just you, sometimes you gotta wait a number of weeks before you get something. Michigan just played arguably the. Easiest non-conference schedule in the history of college football, so can't go much off of that.
2: <laughs> who is a team or two that you think is – that so far has impressed you that you think is maybe better than what we thought or or is has a chance to, you know, make some real noise this year? I mean, who is a couple of those teams for you? First one that comes to mind for me is Washington,
4: which just whipped up Michigan State on Saturday to move to 3-0. and They've got the new coach, Kalen DeBoer, who came from Fresno State. they got Mac- Michael Penix, Jr., who's played really well at quarterback, the Indiana transfer. Uh, this team looks electric, especially on offense. And if you look at their schedule, then their next five games are all very simple. It's not hard to see Washington suddenly starting the season 8-0 and then getting in the playoff discussion at that point before they have to play Oregon State and Oregon and Washington State. They don't play USC in a crossover game. so. Washington is a team that I'm really suddenly have my eye on. And then another is Tennessee, which is also 3-0. and They beat Pitt. They got Florida at home this week, college game day. This will be a game where Tennessee's favored to win. Tennessee is almost never favored to beat Florida. And if Tennessee can win this game, move to 4-0 and – it becomes a top-ten team and, and, and really a quick turnaround there for Josh Heupel.
2: Yeah, I, I, if they can get their defense on track, their offense can play with most teams in the country. I agree with you. That 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 was my first pick as Tennessee. I, I like what Josh Heupel is doing there. Let me ask you about another team, because I picked this team for the playoffs because I wanted to be different besides just Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State. Um, I picked NC State to be a playoff team this year. Yes, they're 3-0. Leary's not had a great start. He's not completing a very high percentage of his passes. He's not turning the football over. I love their linebacker core, and I love some of the things they can do on defense, but they feel like a team that, you know, if they're going to be in this hunt, they got to get some things cranked up and going, especially offensively.
4: I mean, NC State with expectations is always scary. Because you can never really (laughs) trust them to follow through. You know, they even kind of admit that there's some sort of curse that goes on there with, with, with that program. So that's always kind of in the back of your mind. And we thought we might see that in week one when they barely escaped East Carolina, you know, and, but, but they handled Texas tech, which they needed to do this past week. The ACC looks down Clemson doesn't appear to be quite back to old Clemson or anything like that. So, um, you know, you, you, you certainly give them a shot. Devin Leary hasn't been as good as expected, but we know he's a very, very good quarterback. So, if anything, you, you say, hey, maybe NC State's just kind of trying to get through some things early in the season, and they haven't lost yet. And so that that the, the, there's still plenty of room to improve in, and, and we know what a lot of these players can do. Uh,
2: by the way, I think the curse is their coach, but that's a different discussion for another day. Um, Alabama, um, you mentioned it. You know, they obviously, look, I know it's Alabama, and it's five-star after five-star after five-star, but you just don't have four of some of the best wide receivers we've seen in college football over the last 20 years, walking out of your program and multiple first round draft picks without some kind of attrition at that position. I'm with you. I mean, is it more that their ability to stretch the field is more of a concern? Their offensive line hasn't come together yet. Defensive backs have some questions if there is any sort of concern, and I say that kind of in air quotes, with Alabama, where's the biggest one right now?
4: Well, yeah, they have not been the Alabama we think of really for more than a year. And if you just think about almost every road game that they've played, they barely got past Florida last year. They uh, they, they barely got past Auburn, needed a late touchdown. They struggled with LSU at home. Uh, you, you, and you have the Texas game this year. When they're not at, at home, really, they have struggled a bit. There's been penalties and some other issues and stuff like that. But when it comes to receiver, yeah, they've lost an incredible number of first-round talent receivers that are all killing it in the NFL right now. And that, that's, that would hurt anybody. But what I expected with Alabama was, hey, with, with, with the creation of the transfer portal and, and everybody can transfer without sitting out, that is Alabama's never going to have a hole again. You know, that Jameson Williams last year, their, their best receiver, one of the best receivers in the country, he was a transfer. He came from Ohio State. And so that's why it's surprising to see that. Their best offensive weapon right now, Jameer Gibbs, a running back, he's a transfer from Georgia Tech. And so really the, the holes at wide receiver are surprising for that reason. And clearly Bryce Young is just not seeing guys get open the way he wants to.
2: He, let me just follow up with a quick last question. If it was somebody else that had quarterbacked Alabama over the last couple of years besides Bryce Young, even if it was like Tua, you think they'd have another loss or two on their resume because Bryce Young has been so good and he's played so well this last year in a few games? You think another quarterback, if they were manning Alabama, they'd have an extra loss or two on their resume?
4: Well, he's, I mean, he
2: single-handedly made
4: that comeback against Auburn last year to send the game to overtime and win. Now, he didn't, he didn't have a good game otherwise, but, but he made the plays at the end to win. Same thing with Texas. He drove them down the field at the end when they needed it. So he, he has made plays in the big-time moments. That drive against Auburn and the, his performance in the SEC championship game, that won him the Heisman Trophy. Th- mm-hmm. th- that is why he won the Heisman last year, because when it comes down to these big moments and big games, he has stepped up. And and, and that's a real credit to him.
2: Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. He is the senior college football writer for The Athletic. Theathletic.com is where you can check out his work. Uh, We'll get Chris on maybe again to talk some wrestling, R-A-S-S-L-I-N. But anyway, join us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Chris, appreciate it, man. Thanks for spending a few minutes in Atlanta with us. Yep, thanks for having me. You got it. When we come back, it will be time for What's Bugging Chuckery. Two things to get into. Justin Fields. He's absolutely right. And natural selection is back at work. We'll get to all of that next. Chuck and the Key studios Sports right now. to the game. The Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back with you on the John Chuckery Show, live in the Key Studios, Tuesday night with you. 404-741-0929, that is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. You can be a part of the show that way. Odyssey app is how you catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 92.9 The Game. I'm at JMCH316 on Twitter. Uh, Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi host the First and Pod podcast that get you ready for... Week three of the NFL uh, season. I love this here. Uh, Take a pair of best friends separated by 500 miles, but united by their love of football. What is this, a frickin' comedy show? Or is this something that's going to air on, you know, big Friday nights on ABC? Anyway, new episodes every Monday and Friday, first in pod for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast from. We'll get to What's Bug and Chuckery here. <clears throat> in just a minute or two, we got a couple things to get into tonight. Uh, Charlie Morton, so far, so good. He's got a one-hitter through four innings. Four innings, a hit, no runs, three walks, believe it or not, six strikeouts. That's led to 76 pitches in only four innings. So, you know, depending on how it goes, probably only a five- or six-inning night for uh, Charlie Morton. But so far, so good. But Braves' offense is not going to think. Patrick Corbin pitched two-thirds of an inning, with a hit and a strikeout, 12 pitchers gone. And they've gone to their bullpen. I don't even know who this Ramirez kid is. Who is this guy? Uh, er- Erasmo Ramirez has been in since the, uh, the first inning. So, it is 0-0 against the Nationals. Braves need to get their offense. Boy, Matt Olson finally had a couple of hits last night, but he's been awful in the month of September. Awful would be really nice to see him get cranked up and going because there's no other way to describe his September thus far than awful. So hopefully he gets things cranked up and going. Hopefully he gets it back on track, but we will, uh, we will see. We'll keep you up to date all night long about the, what's going on with the uh, Atlanta Braves. The uh, Mets, by the way, as we mentioned, they are taking on the Brewers and they are down three to nothing. So, Chance for the Braves to, you know, tie this division if they can. No reason to not beat the Nationals tonight. Mets are losing 3-0. That game is in the third inning. So we'll see what the, what happens there. But certainly Braves could have a chance to, uh, you know, get back into a tie for the uh, for the division here. So we'll see what, the, what happens uh, out there. But anyway, um, Braves middle of the order. I mean, you think about how good the Braves have been. You know, Riley finally got some things cranked up uh, last night. You think about how rough it's been for Riley and Olsen, and yet they're still winning all of these games. Think about how much struggles they've had in the middle of their order, but they're still winning baseball games because their lineup is so deep. What did we say before the start of the season? This is as deep a lineup as there is in Major League Baseball, and that was counting on you know Ozuna and guys like that. We had no idea with Grissom and Harris and these guys coming along, right? Robbie Grossman's given us some things. And, you know, I, I had a chance to talk to my buddy Gabe Burns the other day about this. William Contreras has really been one of the unsung heroes for the Atlanta Braves this year. He's gotten so overshadowed by everything else, by Strider, by Harris, by Grissom, you know, by Kyle Wright's breakout season, right? He's been really overshadowed by a lot of different things, but he's been outstanding for the Braves this year. And he's really been one of the the unsung heroes, you know, for this team. He's got 19 homers, driven in 42, 278 batting average. He's scored 45 runs. And basically he's played half a season. He's played 83 games this year. So extrapolate his numbers out over the course of a full season. You're talking about a, you know, 35-40 homer guy, 80-90 RBI, 90 runs scored, you know, for a guy that's catcher in DH, you take that all day long out there. So he's been one of the real unsung heroes, you know, for this team. So we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, and the Olsen singles. See, as soon as I speak it into existence, right? He gets some things going. But he did have a couple of hits last night. Hopefully, he's going to get his. Um, uh, hopefully, he's going to get his bat back and get some things cranked up here as we're headed toward, believe it or not, the end of September. All right, speaking of things that aren't going to end, though, let's get to What's Bugging Chuckery.
0: Don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery ticked off. (laughs) Like, that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for What's Bugging Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game.
2: Yes, and I did see that Strider is dealing with an oblique. He's going to have to skip a start, but it doesn't sound like it's anything that's going to be long-term. It's not like Max Scherzer, who had to miss, what, three months because of – because of an oblique uh, issue, so doesn't sound like it's going to be anything long term. Let's hope not uh, out there. All right, uh, two things I want to get to. I know fans, Day Day. I know fans love to throw out the idea that, you know, well we pay your salary and this, that, and the other. And I understand that fans are invested in the team and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. This is Jalen, or sorry, Jaylen. this is Justin Fields after. The game, obviously, last night, the The Packers, uh, or not last, was it last night that the the Bears, no. They, was, they played on Sunday. Sunday. Yes. But when the Bears lost on Sunday, this is Justin Fields talking about this after the game.
4: I mean, it, it hurts more in the locker room than the Bears fans. I mean, because at the end of the day, they're not putting in any work. Um, I see the guys in the locker room every day. I see how much work they put in,
2: so. Okay, so that – Clip was on Twitter. And see, as soon as I say that, Darno Homer's. Uh, so it's 2 0 now, Braves up, but Darno Homer. When that clip went up online, what do you think happened with fans? Oh, he doesn't understand. I'm spending money in this, that, and the other. He's right. Okay? You know, I understand fans and everything, I understand your financial and emotional investment. Okay, but those are the guys in the locker room that take it to heart most because here's the thing. Whether Justin Fields is a Chicago Bear or not, you're going to root for the Bears and spend your money if you're a Bears fan, right? If you you spent your money in 1985, you're going to spend your money in 2025. But if Justin Fields doesn't perform and prepare and win – he won't have a job with the Bears, and he might not have a job in the league if he's not careful. So I know it upset and frustrated. So we're clear. Fans don't pay salaries of players. You know what pays the salary of players? That TV contract at Fox and CBS and NBC and all that kind of money. Those billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. That's why if an NFL owner tells you that they didn't make any money, if their lips are moving when they say that, you know it's a lie. They all make money. You wouldn't get into the business of the NFL if it wasn't a financial boom. If you're not making money in the NFL, it's, it's because you're lying or you're spending it on hookers and coke. Because that's it. There's no way to not make money in the NFL. So I understand that that people got upset at Justin Fields, and I get your emotional investment. I get your financial investment. Those are all choices and things. You don't have to root for the Bears. You don't have to root for the Falcons. You don't have to spend money. But those guys are the ones who are going to feel it because their jobs are on the line. Their legacies are on the line. Everything that goes along with it. Players come and go. I get that fans are there for your lifetime. But it's not the same investment as what these guys are. Now, I want to get to this one, Day-Day. The FDA has put out a warning to our favorite group, TikTokers. So everybody that's on the zip-zap and the tic-tac and all this kind of stuff, what's the latest craze? Marinating your chicken breasts in night quill and cooking them. What? Sleepy chicken is what it's being called. And you marinate your chicken in night quill. Now... The fact that the FDA had to come out with a warning for these people. Can I tell you, though, I hope the FDA takes it down and lets natural selection do its thing. Because if you run into health problems because you soaked your chicken in NyQuil and then cooked it and ate it, you get everything imaginable that you deserve at that point. That's karma. That's natural selection. That is, you are back down to the bottom of the food chain in life. If you're soaking your chicken breasts in quill and cooking and eating them, then everything that could go wrong in your life deserves to happen. In fact, I'm probably going to root for a train to go off the tracks and go through your living room at that point. You lose all capability of being a productive citizen in our civilized society if you're soaking and marinating chicken breasts in NyQuil and then frying them up and cooking. You can never, ever become a productive member of our society if that's where you start at
3: i i saw that kind of go against uh, across my timeline but i didn't click it up. why what is the what do they do? I,
2: I have no idea I, the, th- I there's no reason that's why cuz if it's sleepy the, chicken that's if, what they call it
3: first of all i don't need nyquil added to my food to go to sleep after i eat who
2: <laughs> came up who came up with the idea to soak our chicken breasts in NyQuil?
3: That is just...
2: Again, those people should be banished. Those are the people yeah, that should put them on be kicked out of the country.
3: Put them on an the island. Put
2: right. Them on an island. We should start a GoFundMe for a plane ticket to get those people <laughs> out of here. And again, guess who it is? The tic tackers the zip-zappers, the face-grammers, the insta-bookers. It's all of these people, these people. You lose, you should never be allowed to vote again. You should never be allowed to pro- procreate. You should be never, never be allowed to own a gun. You should lose all privileges. You go to work, do your job, and come home, and you stay home for the rest of your life. And you have to wear an ankle bracelet for the rest of your born life. Because you cannot be a productive member of society if you think that soaking your chicken breasts in NyQuil and cooking them up and eating them is a thing to do. Because you saw somebody on Tic Tac, Zip Zap, Flip Flop do it. You are at the bottom of the food chain. Even the bacteria that grows in the pot is above where you are at that point. Everything that happens to you is deserved and earned. You earned your... What What? What did Ron White say? You can't fix stupid. What did uh, Bill Ingvall say? Here's your sign. That's what these people are. So if you're on zip-zap, tic-tac, flip-flop, whatever, and decide that I'm going to soak my chicken breasts in NyQuil Even though the FDA says that everything about this is dangerous and harmful for you, I say go ahead and do it. That way you open up a spot on the bench for the rest of us. And that's what's bugging Chuckery. When we come back from the top of the hour, I want to talk about what's going on over at Georgia Tech on the flats. We'll talk about that next. Chuckery Kia Studios. Sports right now. Try the game. Odyssey.com app.